Uh, by the yeah. way, you're being recorded. Yeah. Nice day. <laughs> just kidding. So this conversation may be recorded for quality assurance. Welcome to By the Way You're Being Recorded edition of my podcast where I record conversations, usually they're with consent, but with Texas, I don't think I need that permission, but uh, I do anyway. These guys know they're being recorded. We're just messing around. Here's another sample from this conversation from earlier. You drive it off the lot. It's already lost 10% of its value. In three years, it's already dropped 30 40%. And I'm like, well, okay, that's only an issue if you're one of these people that has to get in a new car every two or three or four years. But if you're like me and you're like you and you plan on driving your vehicle for, you know, six, seven, nine, ten years, what does it matter? You're not yeah. going to sell it. You're, you're the one who's ringing the depreciation out of the car. And, and yeah. people don't, they do not understand that. I'm like, wow. If you're going to buy a Camry, brand new, loaded up, 35 grand, and you're going to drive it till it has 200,000 miles on it or 10 years or whatever, then, what, yeah. then go for it. Absolutely, yeah. go for it. As you can see, Jeremy goes on a roll as to why he buys brand new cars. And I admit, having a newer car has been a lot less of a headache because I've had four cars that were... 20 years old a piece and I only paid an average of $500 for them but it was always in the back of my mind that this thing can break at any moment but I don't have that fear with my Dodge Charger 2012 so anyway Jeremy and I talk about rich dad poor dad uh, rich dad versus rich dad the Dave Ramsey versus the Robert Kiyosaki way and uh, Jeremy gives his reason why he has gravitated toward the Robert Kiyosaki way of thinking. And I have gravitated more toward the Dave Ramsey way of thinking, but I'm, I'm not all the way there. I'm not going to wait most of my lifetime to get a bed and breakfast that's going to cost five hundred dollars to $700,000. I'm going to put 20% down on a commercial grade and probably whatever I have to to put down on a regular property. But anyway, here's that conversation. And by the way, you're being recorded. So I was listening to the last uh, two episodes. See, you got so many shows titled, I don't know, like Scott Says or Scott Thought or Know It All or whatever. Like, holy cow, I can't keep track of them. But uh, the one where you know, it's Scott Says which I'll probably okay. change at some point. And then Scott's commentary, which is all the Bible stuff. Okay. Well, which was the one with Rich Dad, Rich Dad? Yeah, it's uh, Scott Says, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, I guess they were both episodes of Scott Says, because one of them was family, the family spectrum. Was that your brother? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He seemed like a nice guy. And, uh, and then I was listening to Rich Dad, Rich Dad. I'd kind of fallen behind. Uh, I, I've gotten in the habit of turning notifications off on my phone, uh, which yeah, is really, re it's, it's really nice. I, I didn't realize how much on edge it puts me to get notifications. Oh, like, yeah. I think, I think when you get a notification, you feel obligated. Uh, I guess I got to look at this or I got to check it or whatever. Well, there's and, a compulsion, uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, that's by design. Oh, yeah. It's a uh, gamification. It's a little, it, it's a brain hack that they figured out. That's why they have the little bubbles. They've got all kinds of ways to notify you. And you just got to pick. And I almost, 
like 80% of the stuff I turned off, right? Uh, yeah, I turned off I turned off Twitter. I turned off well, I uninstalled Facebook. I uninstalled Reddit off my phone. I still have them, but if I want to go on Facebook now, uh I well, I guess I could log into the website via my phone, but if I really want to go to it, I have to do it at home on my desktop. If I want to go to Reddit, I have to go uh to the desktop at home. Um, I turned off. I even turned off Gmail notifications. So I don't know. If I've gotten an email until I open up the app, and I'll open up the app. And it's like bing, 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 bing. It'll drop like seven or eight emails. I'm like, oh, okay. It almost. It's almost like Christmas. It's like, oh, I got mail, you know. Uh, and what else did I turn off? Uh, I said I turned off Twitter. There was a bunch of apps. I didn't realize how many apps I had running that were notifying me of things, and I just went in there and I I blitzed them. I I. Uh, I have MileIQ, uh, which is a mileage tracking app. That notification is still on. But that one I look at a little differently because that's not a social media. It's just reminding me that, um, one, it's tracking my driving, and, two, I need to classify my drive. So that's, that costs – that's money because I get mileage uh, deductions and allowances from the IRS. So that one I don't mind. That's, that's every day, though. It'll remind you that every day. But uh, I think everything else, I think I've turned off. And it, i got to say, it's uh, pretty liberating. I turned off the uh, Messenger or Facebook Messenger app because I couldn't change the sound. It was this annoying high-pitched sound that was too loud. for that high-pitched, that, that high-pitched ding? Yeah, or something like that. I, I can't remember what it was. Whatever it was, I couldn't get rid of it. So I just turned off notifications all except for the little bubbles. Huh. Uh, number so it tells me how many notifications I have. You know, I do I guess I do get I don't do a lot of messages uh on Facebook Messenger, maybe seven to ten a week. So that's not very many. Uh so I guess I still get notifications when I get a text from them. And I get text messages. I, and I kinda wanna see that. But I could turn off Messenger. The thing with Messenger is uh most people who text me on Messenger, um they're uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're pretty, um, you know, they're not going to bug me unless it's something that they have a, they have a question about or whatever. So I kind of leave that one on. I don't get that many of those, so that doesn't bother. I get way more text messages than I do Facebook Messenger. Well, I was looking at um, your your the stock tracker spreadsheet that you created. And I was trying to recall when I got in on that. It says uh, something on there about it was updated or something in June of 2020, but I'm like, no, I was in that way before June of 2020 because I remember that when I got in on that, it was pre-COVID, and oil just fell off. I mean, that was my only mistake was that I, I didn't anticipate COVID, and it just, like, dropped off the, you know, off the cliff. and. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, well, no, it wasn't June. So I don't know. When when did I join that thing? Do you know? I thought I put the dates in there. I put it all in the video. Well, I know for a fact that oil wasn't like $46, uh, that USO or whatever the thing is, was not that high in June of last year. It was actually probably a third of that. So let me look here. I'm going to – this is uh, riveting. Oh, here we go. March 12th, so it was right when COVID, it was before the lockdown, so it was right before 
things really started taking nosedive. Like literally, uh, probably ten days. <laughs> I had oh. great timing. Great timing on that. March. But anyways, 12th. Huh, March twelfth. Okay. Yeah, that, that's when to... I got got on. Okay. I can update that. So, I my argument on oil has been for a long time now that. Uh, what there's what is that expression? Uh, uh, rumors of the of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm I'm paraphrasing, but uh, people are like, oh, it's the end of oil, man. You just see that all the time. Oil. You even wrote a deal about the dying industries or whatever. It's like, yeah, I was like, no. For one. Yeah, I'm like, no, no, the oil's not going anywhere for a very very long time, because and I think the problem is that everyone just uh, automatically just associates oil with uh gasoline which that's a big part of it but uh there's so yeah, much more to it than almost that. half of it I've yeah, but see, here's, here's the problem here's the problem with uh, saying oh oil's going to go away because gas cars are going to go away or, or whatever uh you're going to replace them with what and of course almost or not to a t everyone goes oh we're going to have uh, electric cars. Everyone's going to be buying electric cars. And I go, well, electric cars are definitely a uh, uh, an option. They're way more viable than they used to be, and they're way, way better than they used to be. But uh, they're in their infancy, like very much infancy stage. And I think uh, last year, 2020, which they sold a, a, a ton of cars last year, uh, they sold uh, 96% of all vehicles in 2020 were gasoline or uh, petrochemical-driven vehicles. So yeah, 4%. up to 4%. You know what it was the year before? Like 2%. No. Well, I, I, so I, I will... I will exponential growth here. No, no. Yeah. No, it's not yes, going to It is exponential it, it, growth. That's Scott, a fact. It's not even... Scott, a, you, you think it's... Okay, what do you think the growth... So that means you should, we should see at least 8% this year? Well, it was. Like 2% to 4% is... Uh, right. Doubling, double, right? Right. So let's so doubling. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I was talking for, to for a Tesla, just Tesla, not not the other companies. Uh, they're going to be still growing by at least fifty percent each year. Did you know? Did you know that one? And I just saw this. I think it was on Bloomberg. One in, or no, it was on iDrive. I think it was on iDrive. One in five people, twenty percent, that purchase an electric car. Uh, their next vehicle purchase afterwards is a gasoline car. Yeah, you know why they got that data? They're counting hybrid cars as electric cars. So people are just going from gas cars to gas cars again. And also, they're getting these crappy things. Their information started in 2016. Yeah, so a lot has changed since then. That's Um, true, but here's the thing. You You can't get around range anxiety. Until they start putting out cars... That can routinely hit four or five hundred, or you can charge uh, your car within, you know, say less than twenty minutes. Uh, well, you're not going to get past range anxiety. Yeah, Tesla solves all of that. So, uh, but the other companies, they're still struggling. That's for sure. Well, I think Tesla is definitely a growth company uh, for the next few years, for sure. I do think that. Uh, they're not going to be growing nearly as fast and furious, which was on, which is a ridiculous pair last year. I don't know what they're. What In 2020, they're, uh, they're like the only company that grew 
No, they, they just, just grows. They grew. They grew by in orders of magnitude. I, I don't think they're going to keep that up. You know, but but if this was a bad year for all auto companies except for Tesla, and I think one other company did over. No, well. that's not. That's false. That's false. You think you think twenty twenty was a bad year for cars? Yeah, I think so. That's what I no. heard. No, it was. It, there was a bad quarter. Oh, there was a bad quarter for cars. Uh, but let me let me tell you the inventory on automobiles right now is is extremely low. It's very reminiscent of housing almost. Very low. Uh, they, they don't have they, they don't have enough production. <laughs> well, yeah, they they slowed so, down production, so, and Tesla had to fight them, and they said, you know what, screw you guys, we're going to start production anyway. And by the way, we're moving our base to Texas. In anything we do in California, is just going to be bonus. So. so so is it a bad year for cars? I mean, or yeah, vehicles? It's it's no. Vehicle, yeah, if you slow down production, of course, like the last six months, sales, the last six months of 2020 were insane as far as sales go. I'm a little out of date then. Yeah. yeah. I, I know people who work, who sell cars, uh, my stepdaughter and her future husband, and they, they were like selling as fast as they could. As a matter of fact, I was looking for a car for somebody uh, towards, it was like September, October of last year. And uh, I was looking for a 2020, I think it was a Corolla. No, it was later than that. It was like, it was November, December, right? And uh, they're like, yeah, we sold out of 2020s like a month ago. We have none left over. Everything's 2021. And that's pretty unusual. Normally you'll find a, a few stragglers like sticking around. From the previous but, year, see, you're, you're implying there's high demand, but like I'm okay, telling demand, you, there, the demand is extremely high right now. Yeah, maybe compared to the production, production slowed down. We're, we're gonna have to look at the numbers. I'm telling you, man, it, they uh, it, demand is off the charts high, hmm. off the charts. Okay, uh, well. I mean, the, the, when you can borrow money for very cheap and the, you know, zero APR yeah. in seven years of uh, auto company, yeah, so I guess it's, it's being artificially stimulated by the financial industry. Well, yeah, and that doesn't that doesn't even count um, all the states that are reopening now and you, and jobs or get people going back to work for uh, the, unless you got the you, your your uh, universal basic income folks that just want to sit back and collect checks. They don't want to go back to work. I have I have heard stories from my my clients that uh, you know they're offering like twelve thirteen bucks an hour. These are people that were paying like nine bucks an hour like a year ago, by the way, and they still can't get people to show up. Uh, <laughs> like what? They're like, yeah, nobody's showing up. They don't want to work. I'm like, well, I guess they don't have to anymore. They so my just, point uh, with the oil industry is that it's not going to take a big percentage for this to topple over, right? Uh, or well, what I mean by topple over is it's just going to stay low, probably around 45 or something like that. There's going to be an equilibrium, but we have the best, easiest access to oil in history, and we're, we're having waning demand, and it's going to be falling demand. Demand is not falling. Matter of fact, for, so for I, I, bought, I bought... Yeah, okay, I bought... When I get when I got on the board last year, oil, uh, what was this? What did, what did you call this thing? USO oil, US oil. Uh, it was fifty one sixty six a share, I guess. 
Yeah, and now uh, it's what, current, 70? Current, no, 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 no. It's at 44.83. So it's almost completely recovered. That's U.S. oil. That's U.S. oil. That's not um, That's not price per barrel. I don't know what price per barrel is. Remember, remember you and I kind of went back crude, and forth on that. Yeah, for crude, it's right under 70, and for Brent, okay. it was over 70. Yeah. So I was reading reading some story uh, just this morning, and like, yeah, they're expecting it to go to uh, around eighty, and then it might drop back off again to the sixties. But um, it's gonna it's gonna stay healthy. Well, healthy, yeah, but like whatever the bottom is, it's it's not gonna be. A, in two thousand eighteen, I said this is probably the last oil bump in history, right? And it was in the seventies, and so maybe it'll come back to, to in the seventies. We adjust for inflation, see if it uh, goes higher. Um, and, yeah, I, I may be wrong about the oil bump thing, but it's not going to be sustainable. Uh, this is just a, a shock of the whole system and stuff. But remember, the oil prices dropped before COVID. So. They were, yeah, but they were very steady. Well, they were very steady. Yeah, it's zero steady. That's, yeah, sure. No, they didn't go to zero. Some of the financial derivatives went to zero and negative. That was that was during that was during COVID. Those are those are options contracts that were expiring. That was that was all that was. That were people trying to dump their contracts because they didn't want to take possession delivery of X number of barrels of oil. Yeah, okay. you'd sell for a for zero too. Here's the litmus test. My my prediction is oil will not be sustained over seventy for more than a year. So. Uh, that's what it is. That's my well. I'd say I'd say a better litmus test was uh, what happened after those contracts in March. Uh, remember, it was the March. It was the March contracts on oil. It went to zero. Actually, it went to less than zero. I don't know if you remember that. People were paying people to buy their contracts for zero. What happened the next month? I probably rebounded. Yeah. Oh yeah, I went back up to like thirty something bucks. And then it kind of went up to, I don't know, high 30s, and it kind of uh, held, hung out. It hung out there for a long time while the whole world went through the whole pandemic thing. But uh, I know that uh, I, I remember during uh, the, the worst peak of COVID, Warren Buffett sold all of his shares in the airlines. And I yeah. thought that was very un-Buffett-like. I was like, wow, Really? I said, now would be the time to buy those. I said, those are, and I I don't know if you remember this, but I was, uh, you and I were talking, and I said, now's the time to buy anything having to do with travel, whether it be automobile, whether it be uh, fuel, whether it be cruise ships, whether it be airlines, because everyone was trying to get out of it. When, when, when uh, what was it, uh, what was it Buffett said when, uh, uh, when people get, Scared, I get greedy. When everybody's well, bearish, I get I get bullish. Yeah, or something. Right, right, right. So he sold all his airline stocks, and uh, now the, all the airline stocks are way up. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing, Warren? <laughs> what yeah. are you doing? <laughs> well, they're all up because of the yeah. The stock market seems to be one big colossal bubble. All this stimulus and all this stuff is is going right into it. Right. I, I yeah. I. I don't know how. I, I mean, you can't predict crashes and stuff like that. But uh, you know, I, I'm I'm going to try to stay on the sidelines for a while, uh, not forever, because you know you you want to take advantage of some of that bubble too. But you you want to hedge your bets and stuff like that. But 
uh, I won't be getting in the in the game much for the next few months. But uh, well, I, I am on my 401k, but uh, I'm just mm. just keep contributing to it, and that's you know dollar cost averaging. But I'm going to be ready. I'm going to have a nice healthy load of cash when this thing crashes, or you know, assuming it does. I, I mean, there's going to be a catalyst at some point. I was very much disheartened. I think is the right word. Disheartened when I heard that you and your conclusion of your rich dad versus rich dad, and you were comparing Robert Kiyosaki's net worth to Dave Ramsey's net worth. Yes, but you yeah. know, I told you, I said that Robert Kiyosaki's not trying to get a net worth. It's not going for net worth. That's not a factor in his, his thing. His is cash flow, and he says that. So it's it's a hard comparison, but. If you try to guess how many assets he he has under management, and guess the cash flow, I think Dave Ramsey still wins. No, I think I think Robert Kiyosaki buries Dave Ramsey. Robert Kiyosaki owns like giant still paying or, mortgages or, or, and, and portions. Like he that. owns portions of yeah. Well, there's 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 equity and all that stuff. He owns portions of apartment complexes and buildings all over the country. And Dave Ramsey does, has some buildings that he owns in wherever he is, Nashville or wherever he's out of. But no, I, I think uh, the wealthiest people, or let me rephrase that, a lot of wealthy people, they fly completely under the radar on by, by choice, by design, you know. Uh, and we never hear about these people. There's many billionaires that no one's ever heard of before because they're not flashy, they're not in the news or whatever. Anyways, I don't think there's any way to quantify what either Dave Ramsey or Robert Kiyosaki are actually worth because we don't know. I mean, they got stuff buried in in corporations and umbrellas and you name it, man. It's all, you know, there's no – I've seen that deal like, oh, uh, Robert Kiyosaki's worth uh, like $20 million or something like that or $15 million. I'm like, yeah, That's you're like, on drugs. No, He's worth no, way more than that. No, it's, it's, it was – I think it was $100 million or something like that. No, well, the one I saw, million or something. I mean, they, they had wild guesses. I mean, one yeah, of them they're, they're was just like guessing. 10x they're just off. Guessing. So yeah. what, one of their, they had a a range like 10 x, you know, a thousand percent range, like a hundred thousand to a billion or something like that. I mean, it was ridiculous the range. But I, I looked at a lot of them, and they they all were around a hundred, two hundred, and then uh, whatever his net worth was, uh, Dave Ramsey's was t- twice that much, according to. Some sources, and I looked, and you know, either they're all getting them from the same sources, or they're uh, this, a same source, or it's consistent, or whatever. But, uh, I think a uh, a more apt comparison would have probably been someone like Grant Cardone to of, to Kiyosaki. No, they're both on the same page. Grant Cardone's not looking for net worth; he's trying to leverage his money as well. Right. That's why I said it'd be a more of an apt comparison to see who's worth more. Who's been more aggressive? Oh uh, uh, yeah, it is, yeah. It is kind of well. The whole point of it is like these two are so different in their approach. It's, it's hard to compare. They they have different strategies and everything. I'm a big I'm a big practitioner in, in the infinite banking concept. And uh, matter of fact, I was on a call yesterday for like an hour and a half. So I'm setting up a uh, I'm transitioning to a new life insurance company and, and I'm moving to a different uh, IBC advisor. Because I'm not too happy with the person who's in charge of my other one or my current one. Anyways, um, he Ramsey is always routinely trashing infinite banking concept, and I don't even know if he knows how understands how it works. 
and that he lost a lot of credibility to me when he started doing that because I'm like, um, dude, you don't even know what you're talking about, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and anytime you see him go against whole life, right? But he doesn't understand really how all that stuff works. And if you if you <laughs> uh, watch him talk about it, he he's lots of bluster and fury, but he never actually breaks down the mechanics of how it works. Uh, it's it's interesting because like uh, so I, there's one category in which I know he's wrong about and it's a little blind spot. Uh, in uh, oh, it's with with the valuation of a Tesla. Somebody wanted to buy a Tesla, blah blah blah. Anyway, he said, "Oh, a new Tesla? No, because they they lose five to ten percent of their value in the first year, or up to twenty percent, and you know all cars do that." Well, Teslas don't actually. Uh, they lose like two and a half percent of their value the first year, and it's less after that. Uh, so he, yeah, but he was using a, a gen, general principle and in applying it to the, the one exception in like the whole industry, other than expensive sports cars that are going to be higher in value over time with minimal use. But anyway, you know, one uh, I was listening. I hate that uh, depreciation example on cars i think it's so such misinformed bs um like oh you should never i, I mean i was on a reddit post um last year i think and someone would say should i buy a new car or a used car and uh, it was me and maybe two other people that say uh there are times when it's totally okay to buy a new car and nine, there were probably no joke like 30 people that were vehemently against new cars and they're only thing that they had was oh, depreciation. And I'll tell you, I used to be in that camp a long time ago, but what changed was one day I was listening to a real estate podcast and the guy was talking about how he had bought like tons, you know, he had bought like 20 or 30 single family houses that he was renting or he had turned into rentals. And uh, he bought them before the Great Recession. So he bought these things in like 05, 06, 07. So uh, he um, and one of the po- and one of the hosts of the podcast goes, well, what happened with the when the recession hit? And he said, oh, I, all my properties were underwater. I owed I owed more on them than what they were worth. I mean, almost all of them were underwater instantly with you know within a few weeks. And he was like, and the podcast host was like, well, how did you how did you deal with that? And he goes, what do you mean? Well, how did how what did you change your strategy? Like, what did you do? Because now all of a sudden you have all these houses that are worth less than what you owe for them. He goes, it only matters if I was going to sell them. Yeah. He goes, I had no plans on selling. He goes, it didn't affect me at all. And he goes, you know what? Five years later, I still own all the house, and now they're worth more than what I paid for them. He goes, but guess what? I still ain't going to sell them unless I get some insane amount of money for them. So I was like, huh, that's very interesting. It only affects you. If you if you sell right, so these people that go, oh man, you buy a brand new you know Charger or a brand new F one fifty or whatever Cadillac or whatever, you drive it off the lot, it's already lost ten percent of its value in three years, it's already dropped thirty forty percent, and I'm like, well, okay, that's only an issue if you're one of these people that has to get in a new car every two or three or four years. I said, but if you're like me and you're like you. And you plan on driving your vehicle for, you know, six, seven, nine, ten years until it yeah. starts to give you difficulties. What does it matter? You're not yeah. going to sell. You're, you're the one who's wringing the depreciation out of the car. 
And I, and yeah. people don't, they do not understand that. I'm like, wow. Okay. Now, if you're, if you're a dude that's like, I got to have the newest BMW every two or three years, uh, I'm, I'm going to lease it. Well, yeah, you're going to take it in the butt. Man, you're gonna you're gonna pay for it. You're you're gonna get destroyed. The, yeah, you're that's all you're paying for is depreciation. But if you're not, if you're gonna buy a Camry brand new, loaded up, thirty five grand, and you're gonna drive it till it has two hundred thousand miles on it or ten years or whatever, then what? Yeah. Then go for it. Absolutely, yeah. go for it. Yeah, I uh, my last three cars were twenty years old, and I drove them around for a little while, and they broke down, and and uh, one almost killed me. Not really, but <laughs> the truck of, was it that truck? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the that thing looked like it was, Oh man, that thing looked like it was barely. <laughs> it was held together by duct tape and super glue. When oh, I saw it. Just, it, it came apart in a parking lot. Imagine if I was on the highway and I can't uh, steer. I'm gonna hit a brick wall. We're gonna flip over. I mean, I, it could have killed me. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, I went from that extreme, and uh, you know my. My Dodge Charger 2012 I got for $10,000, and um, yeah, but the guy who paid for it originally paid 32000 So he had it for, uh, I don't know, let's say five years, let's say 2017, right, or yeah. 18, I think. He, I he's the one who took the depreciation hit. Yeah, $20,000, you divide it by five years, like $5,000, $4,000 a year in depreciation plus maintenance and, and, and interest, he you know, brand new car interest, whatever it is, you know, it depends on what the, he or she, you know, their interest rate was. But, uh, yeah, I've, I'm willing to drive this car and invest in it and for until I can get a Tesla, which I don't think I'm going to be getting a new Tesla, although I could because, uh, you know, 30, as long as I can get it for 35, it's about half my annual income. Maybe 40 is pushing it a little bit. That's the recommended. No more than half your annual income. That charger has it ever stranded you or, or, or broken down on you? No, no. Yeah. I, see, there's. I think there's something to be said for buying a new vehicle and everything works and you yeah. know it doesn't strain. Well, but, but think about all the stress that you used to have with that truck. Oh, yeah. Oh, and no, it wasn't just the truck. It was the truck, and then I had a, a Toyota Camry. That was a really yeah. nice car. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's so rusted internally because somebody kept putting water in there and rusted out the engine block. Well, I had to replace the uh, cooling ra- radiator. 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 <laughs> Couldn't think of the radiator. <laughs> yeah, I replaced <laughs> that myself. And then that thing caused me so much stress because the thing died on me uh, because, yeah, it overheated to the point where it wouldn't run. And I was just trying to get to... The, the mechanic shop and I couldn't make it and uh, that was not a good night and then uh, somebody <laughs> gave me a, a Cadillac it was also 20 years old that was nice I like you I know, remember, what, did I ever see that Cadillac maybe uh, you no, I, I can't remember I know I know I saw the Camry I know I, I remember the Camry I don't remember yeah. the, I can't remember if I saw the Cadillac or not well the Cadillac had an issue with the ex- uh, acceleration or whatever uh, over time, it for whatever a certain time of year, it would just the RPMs would keep creeping up until you couldn't bring the RPMs down, and you have to shut off the car, wait, start it up over again to get the RPMs back down. Yeah, wow, extra stress. I saved a whole lot of money, but 
but I probably lost a few years of lifetime and added a whole bunch of gray hairs. (laughs) Well, I grew up with like piece of junk cars. And, um, so that was just the norm. I mean, you can expect your car when I was a kid growing up at home. And then my first handful of cars, you would, you you were expected there was going to be a major mechanical issue within every, every two or three months. It'd be something. Oh, water heater went out. Oh, clutch burned up. Uh, oh, AC's out. I mean, there's always something. Oh, you need new tie rod ends. How long was the last time you had to replace tie rod ends? Those things, they, they last a really long time. Um, so I, I've replaced them many times because of, you know, one, because of the roads I drive on, and two, because I'd always get these vehicles that were, they were basically they were worn out. My dad would be like the third or fourth in line on a car, right? And he thought that was great. He would brag. My dad used to brag about getting cars for 500 bucks. I'm like, yeah. um, I don't know if that's exactly something I'd want to brag about, but he did. My first new vehicle was my work van, and I drove that 255,000 miles, and uh, it had some started. It was 13 years old. Started to develop some rust issues. Rainwater would come in during a rainstorm, and um, one day, about of almost exactly two years ago, it blew a head gasket. It kept overheating all of a sudden. Like, what is going on here? And I couldn't go, I could not, Scott, I couldn't go two blocks out of thing like getting hot. And yeah. finally I had to, it blew out all of its coolant and uh, I had to have it flat bedded over to a shop and you know, oh, yeah. oh that's exactly yeah, what good. happened with my the Toyota Camry. Yeah. Right. So I said, Well, how much is this gonna cost? And he's like and he's a good mechanic, he's very fair, and he goes, You're looking at at least fifteen hundred bucks. Because it was a it was a big van, so it had like this little doghouse, and on the inside, the engine block kind of came into the inside of the compartment. And I was like fifteen hundred bucks, huh? So I go on go on to Kelly Blue Book. I go, what is this van worth? You know what it said? Fifteen hundred bucks. I was like, you know what? Two quarter of a million miles, uh, thirteen years. I think I think it's time to part ways. I think it's good. I actually sold that van for one thousand dollars cash. I took all my equipment, my ladder. I left the old ladder rack on. I left the old water tank in there. It uh, it actually had the AC blue, icy cold. I had just done some work on that. I'm like, yeah, you know what? If you want to put a new head gasket on here, this will probably run another three or four years. And I bought a brand-new 2019 uh, Nissan van, full-size Nissan van, which has a five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. I'm not even halfway through my warranty. And I have no regrets. I don't like car payments. But I have no regrets because um, I don't have. I am sitting here in the air conditioning. I have Bluetooth. My old car, old van, didn't have Bluetooth. I have Bluetooth, even though it's a V6. It's a modern V6, so it's got plenty of power. It's got all the amenities, man. It's nice. It doesn't break down. It starts every single time. For two years, it started every single time. And uh, <laughs> I take I take it to the dealership when it says, "Oh, I need my oil change." It goes, "Okay, five thousand miles." It goes in, it gets a, a all sent, uh, Nissan parts and all that stuff. So it's got a perfect service record. It's just uh, the tires get rotated. It's great. And I, and I don't understand why some people are like, nah, I don't want any part of that. G- give me the risk that it could blow up any minute. Well, uh, so after I wrote and published Rich Dad versus Rich Dad, I, I figured out, you know what? Because we, we talked about cash flow versus net worth. And and I, I figured out how to distill, distill those two ideas into something that people might understand. Net worth equals financial security, and cash flow equals financial freedom, or just freedom in general. You got cash flow you don't have to actually work for, 
you can do whatever you want. You know. I would, I uh, yeah. I don't really know what the difference is. I mean, if you have financial security, you kind of have financial freedom, right? I mean, I don't but, know. But you're worth, you what? You broke up. But your your net worth doesn't necessarily mean you're you're getting cash flow. Though. Like, my, can I can I give you uh, my definition or or what I I think the difference is? Yeah, I think, uh, and I think Dave Ramsey's in the net worth column, um, and Kiyosaki would be in the uh, uh, cash flow column. I I think of net. Well, I can't say even net worth. I don't know if I completely agree. Because, anyways, but but just for for simplicity's sake, we'll say uh, Ramsey's net worth, and and Kiyosaki isn't. Even though Kiyosaki does have a net worth, uh, I say net worth is. Uh, so the traditional way, you know, through 401ks and IRAs and retirement plans, that's the nest egg concept. You're going to work. You're going to build up a big nest egg, hopefully. Hopefully when you turn 65 and a half or whatever and the government says you got to start taking disbursements, hopefully your, your, your account is up. Hopefully it's not, you're not in a bad, a bad, you know, you know, time of the market. Okay. So, that's the nest egg concept, and you're going to, for the most part, not everybody, but a lot of people, when they retire, that's it. They're, they're, my dad retired. He, he, he doesn't get, unless he gets a, a Social Security check, that's it. No more income for him. That's it, you know. Uh, the cash flow concept for me is um, cash flow engine, okay? It's a little engine, all right? So, um Let's just say hypothetically, I have a uh, a little one horsepower uh, uh, or three horsepower lawnmower, and uh, I, and I and I hook it up to my to my to my wagon. Oh, that that thing that's great and all. It 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 it'll pull you, but it goes really really slow. It doesn't have a lot of power, and but it's flowing. It's flowing. Energy's flowing into it, and I don't have to do anything to it, and it'll flow on, uh, until the day I die or a day I sell it. Okay, and then I add another one, and then I add another one, and let's say I got ten of them now. Now I got thirty, thirty-five horsepower. You know, now now my wagon's moving along pretty good, and I and I and I can just sit back and chill, and it and it performs. I'm talking about in the passive sense, not the active sense. So, right. Um, and it'll go until the day I die. And it's like if I get if I get a hundred of them, well now I'm I'm approaching four hundred horsepower. And and I'm approaching this 400 horsepower as I'm getting older, and, I, and yeah. I'm getting closer to the quote unquote retirement age. And you know what? I don't ever have to worry about running out of money, because uh, while one engine may need to be taken out of service for a little while to get some some work done on it, the other 99 will keep on going. Or let's say a hurricane comes and five of my engines are damaged and I have to take them out of service for a little while. That's yeah. okay. I got 95 other engines that are going. And then I'll yeah. and I'll take their power and I'll fix up the other five, okay. Whereas if I have a warehouse of a nest egg and I got like five million dollars in there, um, I have inflation working against me, uh, and I and I have to be careful. Uh, yeah. There are people that outrun their retirement and they're they're screwed. You know, yeah, I think if, if you retire in, in the in the United States of America right now. If you have less than, say, $3 million in retirement when you 
and you retire at age 65, you're, I don't think you're going to have enough money. Just medical cost alone will kick your butt. Yeah, well, my, my 401k is a backup plan. And, uh, you know, it's taken 6% now. I might put it up to 15% later on uh, at some point. But the, the main purpose of that is to make sure that I have liquidity. If I was, if, if I'd have done this with Stevens Tanker and I would have had a few thousand dollars, I would have absolutely taken out, because somebody else did this, and I, I didn't even think about this, but somebody else pulled out their 401k. Was, I don't know. It was a lot of money. Uh, and they put put it all in Tesla. Now it's not advisable, especially with <laughs> you know a hundred or three hundred thousand dollars, whatever the guy did. I mean, he's a multimillionaire now. I mean, yeah, he took a big hit in the taxes and all that stuff, but he he like ten x his uh, money or whatever. It's like did three million dollars now. Oh yeah. Well, did, I I don't know if well, he sold, but oh, okay. But he 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 took it took it in the shorts in the short term, but he saw an opportunity. It's like. Kingdom of Heaven is like a, a man that comes across a, a treasure in a field and he sells all that he has. He buys the field so he can get that treasure legitimately. Um, that's what that guy did. Now, would I have told him, yeah, you should sell everything and put it into one stock, even if it was Tesla? No. But you could sell 50 grand or, you know, uh, a good portion of it or whatever, maybe up to half or something, but don't do it all. But he did, and he, he won out, and he's, he's doing really well now. But the, probably what I would end up doing if I needed to would be taking the 401k money and added it to getting a, a bed and breakfast property of somewhere in a half a million dollars or so, something like that. So how do you – is this a a self-directed one? Oh yeah, I've got it all in growth funds and small stocks, and I've got ten percent in JBI. So let, let's say hypothetically, uh, you find a bed and breakfast, you know, say on the coast, like in Rockport or whatever, you know, and that what you wanted, like one with a water view or whatever. Yeah, the, the plan A is to just let it stay there, and when I'm fifty nine and a half, I could start drawing from it. That's plan A. Plan B is, you know, if I see an opportunity and I don't have, like my plan A for opportunities is to have cash for it that I don't have to take it into shorts to to uh use. But you know, this is the backup plan for that that plan. You know, so so but, but if you, besides that, if you, I, I'm not gonna turn down two thousand dollars a year worth of income that J B Hunt's gonna give me and, and help contribute to it. 50%. So if you find a piece of property and they go, uh you need to put let's just say you have a hundred thousand in your four oh one K, okay, and, and you yeah. find a piece of property and it's like uh, in order to secure this property, and you go, oh, this would be a perfect bed and breakfast. The 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 bank or whatever goes, well, you need to put seventy five grand down. Okay, how would you do? You how does that work on on one of these four hundred one k's? Do you just go, uh, I need to borrow against it, and then how does that work as far as repayment, interest, all this stuff? Um, no, you're probably going to have to sell it. I think I, I I could look into borrowing against it, but I I think. Uh, what, well, you take a, what's in my mind is I'll probably sell it and whatever the tax, which are going to go up under Biden, where it's going to be more. But maybe it'll be changed in two to four years. Four years is our I, timeline. But, uh, maybe okay. See, to me, that's, see, that's why infinite banking works like way better. I can borrow uh, against my policy as long as I got the cash value in there. I don't have to – I can just – I can just pick up the phone and say I'm, I am borrowing this much money and I can pay it back at whatever schedule I want. If I want to wait five years to pay it back, I'll have to pay the interest on it. 
But yeah, I'll, but uh, do I don't you have, have somebody I, matching fifty percent of your contributions. Uh, the interest that it generates, especially on paid-up editions, uh, within probably about eighteen months is like one to one. So, meaning for every dollar, well, actually it's not eighteen months, it's about twelve months. For every dollar I put in, the cash value will be worth a dollar, and then after that, uh, every dollar that I have put in in the past. It, it generates more than a dollar every year, so uh, I'm I'm earning interest. Like I like last uh, a couple of weeks ago, I logged into my um, current policy that I have with a company that I'm getting out of, and it said I had X number of dollars in cash value. If I were to log into that policy right now, that that number's gone up. It goes up almost every single day. The only days it doesn't go up is Saturday and Sundays because those aren't business days. And then, it, yeah. and then it recalculates on Monday night. And that's guaranteed. Yeah. It's always guaranteed to go up. It cannot go down. Yeah. It cannot go down. Uh, and then on top of that, I get a dividend that they pay out annually. Uh, that is not guaranteed. But most of the time, I would say, you know, uh, the company I'm with, they say, I think out of 100 years, they pay dividends, 97 of them. So... It's probably going to be pretty – it's pretty much guaranteed. But if you look at the writing, it says we cannot guarantee. This is based on the performance that we have in any given year. And uh, we got COVID. You know, we'll see how many other people die from COVID. And that might actually affect if how much my dividend or if I get any kind of a dividend. So, yeah, you ask about is it matching? Well, I don't know. It doesn't, I, don't know I don't know if I call it matching because matching is like one for one. But is it earning? Yeah, it's, it's earning, it's guaranteed earning, and I can borrow it. I can pull money out of it uh, whenever I want, and I'm not penalized. Yeah, and this is uh, uh, definitely, you know, superior to a savings account. You're making interest, maybe what, two percent, three, four, something like that. Well, yeah, and it compounds too. On top of that, it's compounding interest. Yeah, so that's so that's worth something. It, that's added. So right now it earns about forty five, fifty bucks a month. Yeah. And you go, oh, that's not very much money. But uh in twenty nineteen and into twenty twenty, it was only earning like uh uh I don't even think it was earning thirty dollars. It was like twenty seven bucks. So in a year it's gone from earning about twenty six, twenty seven bucks to now it's earning about forty, forty five. And if I were another year from now, it'll be earning about sixty-five, seventy a month. So it's it's compounding and picking up speed on top of itself. It's snowballing essentially. So and um, I can borrow against it, and the compounding never stops. So I can take a loan, and from the life insurance company, and they go, uh, well, we're going to collateralize your cash value. So if you don't, if you refuse or cannot pay before you die. We'll take it out of your cash value, but we're actually loaning this money to you out of our own coffers. So your cash yeah. value still remains in the policy, and the compounding interest continues uninterrupted. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get the strategy. It, it's the, you know the strategy I'm using with this. First of all, I'm, I'm getting free money from the corporation once they start after my first year, which is going to be three percent of my income. Uh, uh, you know, so that's that's good. That's probably two thousand dollars. is what I focus on, and then uh, I'll be contributing probably about four thousand. So that'll be six thousand dollars. But we're talking, uh, yeah, reasonably between ten and twenty percent. Twenty percent growth, fifteen percent, 
you know, past performance is no uh, guarantee for future returns, but that's what its history is on, on some of these. One's a little bit lower than the other uh, over a 10-year period, averaging 20%. And I was like, so, yours, right, well, so yours is not a guaranteed growth? No, of course. Nothing is guaranteed in the stock market. Yeah. Okay. Nothing is guaranteed in, in life, but it's just that's why you you have these growth funds and uh, small caps. Um, and yours is a longer game with uh, slow returns, but it's guaranteed, which is you know it's a it's a, a value, and you can borrow against it. It's definitely a tool. And it's a, um, it's you know, a, maybe it's one a lever, day it's le- I'm leveraging my capital what I'm doing. Yeah. People and of course, that, learn more about that, and uh, that might be something uh, for somebody listening. But I haven't added that to my repertoire yet, because I I, uh, I want to use my income for other things first, and then uh, uh, I'll, I'll consider that at some point. Oh man, if you by the time you get around to it, you'll be kicking yourself. You'll be going, "Why did I wait so long uh, to look into this?" You'll be kicking yeah. yourself. Um, yeah, I know. I uh, but whole life you're you're still paying for an insurance policy that you really don't need, you know. So I, I haven't gone I've gotten over that, and I you know, so. What do you mean you don't, I, you don't need it? I mean, I guess I, if you're I, independently wealthy, to, you don't need it. But well, I already have insurance until I'm like 63. So and what happens I, to that insurance when you turn 63? It won't matter because I won't need it anymore. Uh, until then. That's why it's term insurance. Uh, right? okay. Well, I say you can do both, and that's how that's what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know I mean, it's not one or the other, but I I just yeah. I I don't want to use a vehicle that's going to cost me money for something I don't even want. You know, I mean, it's good to have extra insurance if you need it, but uh, yeah. So I I don't know. I I, I trust me. I've I put time into listening to to the podcasts. Uh, what was it called? Uh, the infinite baking uh, concept they had. Something I forgot what the box. Oh, dollars and cents or something like that. Yeah, yeah I listened to all their. There. Yeah, all their stuff. I went on YouTube and and, and did and I just uh, I wasn't won over, you know. But uh, really, I mean that is a very compelling argument. Very compelling. Well, I I think it's an you know interesting strategy for you you're using that and you're also using leveraging. Uh, which you know, so you the, you've got a hybrid system where you have ultra conservative guarantee on this side and then you have ultimate leverage on the other side and I think that's a very interesting uh, and probably a good combination for me uh, you know I, I just have to I have to develop the combination that works for me and I, I yeah I'll have some savings that'll be my buffer uh, cash and then. I'll have gold and silver and stuff like that, and then I'll have growth funds. Basically, is the uh, and well, real business stuff. I, I I plan on starting a lawn company again someday, and I'll use some to um, invest in that. It's just a matter. Of well, my my plan is is to be as lazy as possible. So <laughs> my plan is is I want to be as I want my income to be as passive as I can possibly make it. Um, as a matter of fact, now that my rental property is going, I've had some I've had some problems with it. I've had some stuff break, uh, but pretty minor stuff, honestly. I think the most expensive, what was the most expensive repair I had to do was like a hundred bucks. So 
uh, we're talking like uh, towel holders, like coming loose from the wall or a door somehow. I think there's a little bit of a beast be going on, but it came off the one of the office hinges. I'm like, how did that happen? So, but anyways, it's like, well, we'll just take, uh, you know, someone will go in there and they'll screw in some bigger screws or whatever and it'll be fine. But, uh, I have not touched that property since February 4th. What are we, we're, so it's three months. Yeah. I've driven by it maybe two or three times just to check out the lot next door and and kind of kind of I'm not I'll kind of snoop a little bit just kind of look you know. Is that property okay? in Corpus Christi or did you end up buying something up here? Uh, in Corpus Christi, I oh. I I, I, uh, I do think I will. I'm, right now I'm honing I'm honing my model you know I'm honing how I want to do it and uh, I could not figure out a way with the distance to do it up there. But I think I will eventually return to Central Texas or South Central Texas uh, in about five or six years. But I think right now I have so many resources here, and I, and I it kind of dawned on me. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm I'm going into an area where I have no help, no no resources, nobody. I know nobody up here, and uh, when I have all kinds of resources down there. So plus the rental market here is a little hotter than it is up there. As, as hard as that is to believe, it's actually very hot. But um, so yeah, I haven't touched it, man. I, so I uh, I made basically uh, that's twelve hundred dollars minus whatever uh, maintenance you had to do to the door. Uh, not counting maintenance. Yeah, about four four fifty a month after all all build. Not counting any maintenance that'll come up. So that's yeah. you know that's a negative. Yeah. Well, that's um, really good. I, I would only hope to get that. I, I don't know. How I'd, I'd have to uh, rent my house out for fifteen hundred dollars a month in order to get that kind of cash flow. Well, I'm I'm renting mine for fourteen fifty, so that's pretty darn close. Uh, um, what's crazy is if you were to see this neighborhood, you'd go, you know, way you're going to get that much here, but the market is so hot um, here. And in, in Texas in general, you can you can uh, people are starting to get priced out of housing, so they have to rent, you know. And if they don't have a really 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 good credit, they they have to rent. So yeah, um, yeah and I don't. The only thing I don't like is my property manager. She'll kind of uh, kind of sent you know forward text messages that the renter sent to me, and I'm like, look, I don't or sent to her. Like, I don't I don't I don't want to know about this stuff. So what I'm going to tell her is I'm going to say, look. If you can pay, if you can pay, if there's a a, a repair that needs to be made, and, and I'll say if it's less than 150 bucks, I don't even want to yeah. know about it. Exactly. I don't even want to know yeah. about it. So, you know, I don't know if I'm dime you. What you, 150 bucks a month, right? That's what you mean. Yeah, but I, it's not in her interest to do that. She's only gonna. Are you talking about the tenant? Well, you, your property manager forwarded it to you, right? Yeah, so like you're 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 telling your property manager if it's no more than 150 bucks a month, right? Because they could nickel and dime you all the way up for the, <laughs> you know, you know. Well, but she they could she only has do to that show, month, I guess. right? But she has to show receipts. I mean, it's not like she can just make stuff up. Uh, I sent a guy over a hundred bucks and was taking a hundred bucks out. I have to be able to prove to the IRS that uh, there was a legit expense there, right? Hey, what's so your every, property every manager's fee? Ten percent, so okay. one hundred forty-five, one hundred forty-five bucks. Sweet, yeah. So she handles all the calls, 
But, you know, I do get calls, not too many, but I'll get a call, like, generally, like, once or twice a month. These, these people are, are pretty needy over here that, that are in that in that house. But, so, <laughs> um, but, my, but I, you know, I tell, I tell Sophia she needed to read the E-Myth. She won't, she, she bought it, but there's no way she's going to listen to the whole thing. And I said, look, she goes, well, how are you doing this window cleaning? I, I don't, you still go out and work. And I'm like, I'm not doing it with window cleaning. I said, I'm doing it with rental property. I said, have you noticed how much time we've spent at the rental house lately? Nothing. Nothing. Once once it got on the market, we were we were gone, man. Yeah. Yeah. So risk analysis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah hey, I gotta wrap this up. And uh, good. yeah, we'll have plenty more to do in the future and I gotta get caught up because I got like five podcasts worth of uh recordings to get through. <laughs> This might be the. Is this the record for the longest one? Uh, let me see. Uh, it's been like team, an hour. I did. I did long ones with my brother, but uh, they never went to production because uh, okay. it wasn't good content at the time. I think. Or or well, there's there's one that I probably 20 minutes worth in that hour and a half that I could pull out, but I just I haven't spent the time to do it. I got to train Jenny on how to do audio. And you you have to have a sign off. Scott, because all your podcasts they just end when you hang up. There's no sign off. Here's my uh here's my sign off. Okay, By the way, it. you're good. being recorded. Yep. Have a nice day. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you should actually use that. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna put that in the introduction. Uh, <laughs> what? What are you talking about? <laughs> what? <laughs> mm-hmm. I all right, don't man, let's get back. do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's against the law, bro. I let you know. I just let you know after the matter. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This uh, this conversation may be recorded for quality assurance. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll let you go, Scott. All right, later. Later, bye. bye.